was there really a race of ant-sized humans <laughs> prowling the jungles of Africa? <laughs> and a real-life superhero is protecting the streets of uh, Stockton today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Garbiner. I'm having a great day. Hope you're having a great day. Hope you're staying cool. Oh, man. I was doing a bunch of research. I actually was originally going to do for today for our cryptid. I was going to do the Fresno Nightcrawler. And I kept looking. I had it all ready to go. And I said, you know what? I'm going to see if anyone's debunked this yet. And yeah, it's been pretty thoroughly debunked, actually. When I was watching the debunking video, I'll put it in the in the links below just for you know if you want to check it out but when i was watching the debunking video i was arguing with it in my head and then i was like nah i'm grasping at straws i'm grasping at straws fresno nightcrawlers if you don't know are these creatures that look like they're just a pair of legs walking through the city of fresno and the guy really laid out and said this is how they did it and he replicated it and he explained where the footage came from and at first i was like no no you're wrong like you didn't explain that properly and so like i had a natural inclination to argue with him because i wanted to believe in it plus i already did a bunch of work getting the episode prepped but at the end of the day i was thinking he's basically doing what i'm doing like he may not have all the answers but he has enough i think to thoroughly debunk the fresno nightcrawlers but we'll post all those links you can check it out yourself anyways so i was like crap i need to find another cryptid and i'm like uh, you know, I have all these bookmarks, I have all these folders, and I'm clicking, I'm like, that cryptid's stupid, that cryptid's dumb, that cryptid doesn't exist at all, there's not an interesting story behind it. And I kept reading these cryptids that lived in Antarctica, and I was like, oh man, that'd be so nice right now to be sitting in Antarctica. <sighs> Just that cold wind whipping over my exposed skin. I don't care, the thing could be there, I'd be there. Apparently there's a giant turtle that's as big as an island that floats around. See, that was the thing. That was one of the cryptids I came across. And he floats around Antarctica and stuff like that. But it's such a limited amount of information. As neat as the visual is, there's really no story behind it. So I had to keep looking and keep looking. And so that's when I found these little guys. So we're going to go ahead and start off with our cryptids with this. Because we're just a nice little segue there. These guys, and we're still in Africa. I actually had planned on having cryptids from different areas it's just kind of working out and i think part of it is is that i wanted to do cryptids that no one's ever heard of that i'd never heard of we know you know the the western cryptids are pretty well known i think there's some in australia that aren't really well known but mostly it's in like asia africa we know all about dragons and bigfoots and gnomes and i guess there's something called the bat squatch i might do an episode on but again there's just there's only one account of that these little guys so let's talk about the abatwa Abatwa, A-B-A-T-W-A, these little guys. So apparently, this was more of a legend that's actually true. That's what's so interesting about this story. So the Zulus had this legend of the Abatwas. They are so tiny, they live in the grass, or they live in anthills, and they like hang out in the grass all the time. And they're big, they can, like, can ride ants, they can beat up ants, they're that tiny. And their spears, their tiny, tiny spears, are dipped in poison. And so they will, just one spear, like you can be like a, a lion, and you take a, one of their spears in the ankle, you, it's uncontrollable bleeding. It basically prevents you from blood clotting. And so you can run as far as you want, but you eventually you'll just die, plus the poison gets you. And then the little guys eat every inch of you. They leave nothing to decay. They eat everything, all the bones, all the hair. So nothing's left. 
And once they um, eat everything there is to eat in a certain area, they all jump on one horse, the whole group of, the whole tribe. They didn't have like houses because they lived in anthills, but there was like thousands of these guys. They got men, women, and children. They would all jump on one horse and they would line up from the top of the head all the way down like a perfect line, all the way down to the tail. They'd be like, giddy up. And the horse would ride to where there was more food. And then they would do that process again where they hunt and kill everything in the area. Now, the Zulus hated these guys because they were super temperamental. And a lot of times you would just be walking through the grass and you would accidentally almost step on one or maybe like kill a couple of them and they would stab you in the foot with one of the arrows and you'd die. You would just bleed out. And I don't know if they ate you necessarily, but they'd kill you. And they were also really, really, really self-conscious about being short, like super self-conscious, where the, the, they would kill you if they thought, the Abatwa, if they thought you were thinking, just even thinking that they were tiny, they'd kill you. So the Zulus invent. This is all historical, by the way. I'm not just making this stuff up. Because this, this story gets weird. So the Zulus had a special greeting for these guys. They'd say, I see you. And like, you're so big, I can actually see you. And then the little guy, the little Abatwa hunter, his follow-up question would be, well, where did you see me from? And the Zulu would be like, oh, I saw you like five miles away you're so huge i saw you like five miles away i saw you on top of that mountain over there and the little hunter would go like okay like it would make him feel good that he wasn't considered tiny that no one thought he was tiny if you said oops sorry i didn't see you there they'd kill you or if you go i see you and they're like where'd you see me from and they're like well you're kind of tiny so i just saw you right now they they kill you you can never insult their height and the Zulus, again, were not fans of these guys because they were losing soldiers to these people. Constantly paranoid they were going to get snuck up on or killed. And their weaponry was just too advanced. They always said that one Abatwa tiny, tiny soldier was more powerful than a full-size Zulu because just the weaponry was different. Plus, they're silent assassins. So there was an author named Henry Calloway. And in 1868, he wrote a book called Nursery Tales, Traditions, and Histories of the Zulus. And in this book, uh, these stories are in there. So it's basically like a book for white people to read in in England, in Europe. Being like, ho, 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 look at those crazy black people. They weren't calling them black people. But I mean, that was the, that I'm, I'm churching it up for you. So what's interesting is Calloway's doing this research. And he starts to come across some things. The term Abatwa isn't just the name of these tiny little guys. So Calloway, as he's researching this book, he's he's hearing these stories about the Abatwa and everything. And he's like, okay, yeah, you say that they're super tiny yeah, and they don't like to be criticized for their height. Okay, yeah, and they'll like kill you if you make fun of how tall they are. Okay, yeah, and he's writing that down. And he starts to do some more research and he realizes there is a tribe near them called the Abatwa. Like, there's actually people still in that area called Abatwa. He's like, what the... Okay, so wait, it doesn't make sense, because what they're calling these mythical people are actually a legitimate tribe in this area. So he realizes there's another tribe in this area that's named after these legendary creatures. So what are you going to do? You're going to go look into that. So Zulus are generally six feet tall. This other tribe, the Abatwas, were four feet tall. So now he's like, oh, okay, so basically this is what this is what happened. 
long, long, long time ago, Zulu warriors met these guys who probably mouthed off about how short they were and got massacred by these dudes. Definitely took some casualties. So then legends grew from that, that there were these tiny warriors that lived in anthills and they all rode on one horse and don't say any, that's the key point. Don't criticize their height because they'll kill you. Now, I, I get that if that tribe was extinct but imagine if you made up a legend about something like you're like hey yeah don't go over to barry's house because barry is a ghost and when you walk into that house he'll attack you and he'll try to put mushrooms down your pants and then he'll steal all your gold and barry's still alive and he's like sitting on the porch and he's like wait i'm sorry what did you just say i'm gonna put mushrooms down people's pants like what is going on? That's basically what they did. They made up an urban legend in, in basically in front of the people who the urban legend's about, which I guess kind of happens in some way. We call them rumors. But you're basically criticizing a group of people for being shorter than you by creating a legend about they're so tiny. You can fit the entire population on a horse and then telling that story to your kids and then those kids are like playing with their kids, who I'm assuming their kids actually are as small as ants because they are pretty short. Super bizarre. So that that's that part of the article. You're like, okay, they named this group of people after this group of people who are still around and they're saying they're super tiny. Then these researchers come in and start to compare these four feet tall people to garden gnomes. And they're like, in Europe, the gnome is very well known to be fierce and and critical of his height and he will take your gold they're still talking about these dudes who are literally in the next tent i mean i don't think they're buying these books listen it's one thing to tell stories of legends but it's probably not the best thing to tell them about people who are still alive and the legend is how much they like to kill people regardless of their height the whole thing is super bizarre then i'm reading this and i'm like okay so just basically everyone's ragging on these on these guys who are they're just sitting there doing doing their stuff I, I mean i don't know maybe they are murderers okay so the article is just full of craziness but there's a journalist term called burying the lead and that's where you take the most important part of the story and you hide it somewhere in the middle not necessarily the most important part as far as this goes but definitely one of those parts that i was like I, tell me more about that quit talking about earth gnomes we get it you don't like short people we get it this I read this, I'm like, this is its own article. I couldn't find anything on it just yet. I'm going to keep looking. Anyways, here it goes. This, this researcher who came out, this is like 1915 now. He comes out and he's like, hey, who, who made all these pots? Who made all this pottery and stuff? And one of the elders of the tribe said, oh, that, part, that pottery right there, that, that's what you're talking about? That was made by the Goomba. And it says, this is a sentence here. It says, this is a sentence here. The elders of the tribe told him that the pottery had been made by an ancient people called the Goomba, who had originally occupied the area in the past after displacing a race of cannibal dwarves called the Mathenyokania. Cannibal dwarves. How tiny are these people in Africa? The fact that we now have dwarves... I mean, think about it. If you're already comparing some people to the size of ants, and they're only four feet tall, how tall were these dwarves? I get it, pygmies exist and stuff like that, but I, was this an was this an issue? And they're cannibals, cannibal dwarves. I gotta find out about these guys. Will that be its own cryptid episode? I don't know. It should have been this one because this one was just about tiny humans, and I don't know if that's technically a cryptid. But I do think the story of how we got the legend of tiny cryptids 
was perfect for Dead Rabbit Radio. I hope. I, we're going to move on to the next story here. And this is a story I've been following for a long time, but there's a new update in it. So the city of Stockton has a guy in Stockton walking around calling himself Batman. And he stops people from doing meth and just crime in general. Where is he? He hangs out of the dollar store. And apparently, I mean, I don't know if you guys know what the dollar store is. If you know what a 99 cent store is or a 98 cent store is. It's basically a store where everything is 98 cents, 99 cents a dollar. Some dollar stores, oddly enough, have stuff that costs more than a dollar. And I don't know how they do that, but they do. But anyway, so in Stockton, which is a crime-ridden hellhole by all measure. I'm from California, so I can say that. I have friends, actually, down there in Stockton, and it is a crime-ridden hellhole. But So apparently there's a guy who calls himself Batman walking around Stockton, the parking lot of the dollar store, being like, stop, evildoer. And his kids are with him. Now, I'm not going to knock the idea of wanting to stop crime. That's very noble. I have no problem with that. And I have no problem with people taking... Well, the law in their own hands. I guess I kind of do. I mean, yesterday I talked about To Catch a Predator and the Pop Squad and all that, how they go to stop child molesters. And that's kind of what he's doing. I, I don't really think he should bring his kids into it. If he wants to call himself Batman, fine. If he just wants to walk around and be like, hey, I'm calling the cops right now and, and call me Batman if anyone asks who I am. I don't have, really have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with real life superheroes in general. What that is, is that's a movement or a group of men and women who dress up. This guy doesn't dress up. He's just walking around wearing a tap-out shirt. But I'm, I'm assuming it's tap-out. That was a bit of a stereotype. But real-life superheroes are what it is. Real-life superheroes. They're men and women who generally dress up in costumes and patrol cities. And if they see a crime happening, they call the police. Fair enough. And a lot of times they also do charity work. So they'll dress up as like the Red Avenger or Captain Awesome. And they'll be like, hey, here, take these sandwiches, homeless people. Fair enough. I mean, you can't fault that stuff. I think that stuff's interesting. There's a great documentary called Superheroes that HBO did quite a few years back. I think it was like 2007, something like that. And it's a look into all these people's lives. And some of them are like these three young kids in New York. And they're like, yeah, we got bullied a lot. So we decided to, you know gang up we live together and we train all the time and we're constantly lifting weights and we patrol the city and we do all this stuff there's another guy who's like built this armor <laughs> this he, he's wearing like spandex and then he has like armored suit that's given too much credit it's like he has this giant battering ram that he fits onto his arm to punch stuff hopefully not people and they show him testing it out on the like he has this thing of balsa wood and he's like watch this Bush! crashes the balsa wood he's also drinking quite often during his uh, routine during his patrol they show him cracking open a couple beers and he pretty much is just hitting on chicks so basically there's all sorts of levels to this some people are in it for the fame some people are mentally ill one guy they profiled was living in his van, but it was worth it because he was fighting crime. When you watch that documentary, and of course that documentary, I was like, oh, I, I for two, I had two things. One, I want to be one. That lasted about 34 minutes. The secondly, I wanted to know more about him. And it's funny because you look into him, and this happens a lot in the documentary. A lot of them, the they'll be like, yeah, I'm a superhero because of Kitty Genovese. Kitty Genovese is this incredibly famous story true story tragic story i think it was in like 70 
four in the seventies. I think my facts are always, if I don't have it in front of me anyways, Kitty Genovese was a young woman who got attacked in broad daylight. And while I think maybe 12 people were standing around her, a bunch of people were watching from the apartments. This is New York city back in the seventies. And that would talk about a crime ridden hellhole was incredibly bad. People were watching from the windows. A guy is stabbing her in the middle of the day on the street. She she starts to bleed out. He leaves. He gets away. I think they caught him later on. But And eventually some people came out and they're just like walking by or just standing there. Nobody does anything. She dies. And that was a big like wake-up call where people were like, how could, you, how could we as a nation let that happen? To let this young woman get stabbed? And people were there. It wasn't like it was in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't like a gunshot in a dark alley and no one knows where it came from. People watched her die. Watched the attack and then watched her die. No one did anything. And so that was a, like, that is one of those things where you have to ask yourself, like, what would I have done in that situation? And back then, I think people were just, in New York, particularly more apathetic towards just crime in general. I don't want to get involved. It's not worth my trouble or I don't want to get involved. I could, I could be dangerous for me. Things like that. I think definitely if I saw... A crime happen, whether or not I would intervene would would determine would be determined on a couple of different factors. If I'm walking down the street and I see a man getting mugged by another man, the chances of me intervening into that is much greater than if I'm walking down the street and I see a man being mugged by what I know is a street gang, whether it's a single gang member or four or five gang members. I'm going to call the cops, maybe, maybe, again, depending, because I'm not, if a dude, if, if I'm, if I'm sitting there and someone's holding something up or whatever, I'll do my best to get involved. But if it's a, if it's like an actual active, more than thinking buddies, street gang, fuck that dude. I'm not getting involved. No, I may come over and like do some CPR and stuff like that, but not nah, it, it, for me, if I got to be honest, no. If I see a bunch of bloods messing with somebody, nah, I'm good. Anyways, I guess <laughs> I guess that's a good segue for where I'm going with this real life superhero thing. Hey man, I'm just being honest. Like I'm being honest because then I got my family involved. This is the way I look at it. If I want to get involved in a in a fight between people, and I get stabbed or something happens to me, so be it. But if I get involved in some sort, if I'm trying to get involved to protect someone from some sort of gang activity, some sort of multi-state gang. And again, I'm not talking about the dudes who all wear the same shoelaces and there's some podunk street gang and it's like five dudes and you can mop them up in a weekend. I'm talking about like a, a, a big gang, a multi-state gang, a multi-city gang. If I see them doing something, it's not just me I'm involving in the situation. It's my family I'm involving in that situation. You know what I mean? It's good. You know, I could go out and be the hero and all that stuff. But, you know, then all of a sudden I'm a witness and I'm on trial and they want to shut me up. So they go do this, that and the other thing. For me, it's not worth it. If you want to get involved in it, go nuts. But I've learned. I've learned. No, I'm not doing that. Anyways, where I'm going with this, real life superheroes. So you have these people who are pretending and they're not pretending they are actually heroes they are getting involved apparently they're more heroic than me because they're they would be like hey stop you you stop member of the third street bloods 
who has massive financial holdings and all sorts of businesses in the area and probably has a couple of police paid off, put that purse down and, you know, wear the car. I'm glad this is the episode where I reveal what a horrible scumbag I am. It's not what I intended. Let's get back on topic. Real-life superheroes. There are people who dress up in costumes and they go out and they stop crime. So what what comes out of that? There's a group of people who call themselves real-life supervillains. Now, of course, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, I'm already like pretty disappointed because we already have real-life supervillains. They're called criminals. But these people take an extra step. So real-life superheroes, what they do is they see a crime, they call the cops, and they hand out coffee and donuts to poor people. They don't actually punch criminals in the face. So what would you think a real-life supervillain would do? Do you think they'd try to blow up the Golden Gate Bridge? Do you think they'd be involved in some sort of petty larceny? At least? No, they just make YouTube videos. They just troll real-life superheroes, and they're like, ha, 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 you suck. The sandwiches you give out to poor people are stale. Ha, ha, ha. Subscribe to my channel for more. I was looking into these guys preparing for this episode. They're mostly defunct at this point. One of them was doing a joke campaign for president of 2012. So it should show how updated these real-life supervillains are. And to make it even weirder, the real-life supervillains, they post YouTube videos talking about how lame superheroes are. And then they give out sandwiches to poor people. Like, they use... I get it. I'm homeless. All I want is a sandwich. But I don't know if I can take one from Dr. Doom. I don't know if I can take one from somebody who claims to be a villain. I mean, like, here, eat the sandwich that you don't know who I am or who made it. Captain America gave me a sandwich. I'd be like, yeah, Cap, keep fighting them Nazis. If Doramu... What's that guy's name? The flaming head is like walking down Skid Row and he's like, sandwiches for all. Come on, man. I would like to see a real life supervillain. I think we have had real, real life supervillains. I think the Unabomber would be the closest we have to an actual supervillain. Osama bin Laden, I would consider a supervillain where they have, they're above the average. Like Timothy McVeigh was just a punk with a van. But the Unabomber was like, there's this decade-long mystery. He's building these little bombs. He had, he had like his own little hideout. Osama bin Laden, it goes without explaining. He had his thing going on. But to like, Osama bin Laden, what he had on Pat was those videos that he made too. Which, you know, I don't speak Arabic, so who knows what he was saying. We only have what the translator's saying. But imagine if one year everyone's watching the Super Bowl. And instead of watching the commercial for the new Diet Pepsi brand, I, I lost my Diet Pepsi sponsorship, by the way. I never had it. But anyways, um, during the Super Bowl, right when the ads, when everyone's like, yes, my favorite thing about watching the Super Bowl is the ads, which is the most annoying thing you can ever say to me. I hate it when people say that. But all of a sudden it starts up and there's like Cobra Commander or some sort of guy in a mask there being like, there are nuclear bombs planted in three American cities. If the Lions lose the Super Bowl, two of them go off. I don't know. <laughs> and then it just ends. That's super villainy. That's what I want to see. I don't want that to happen. But um, that's super villainy. This was a really rambling episode. I'm going to blame it 100% on the fact that I'm dripping with sweat. This may be the hottest I have ever been 
as a human on the planet Earth. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. I'm drink the soda, I'm the Coke I'm drinking. Oh, sorry, Diet Pepsi. I mean, the Diet Pepsi I'm drinking right now is hotter than room temperature, if that's possible. Facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. You can also hit us up at Twitter. Twitter at Jason O. Carpenter. It's going to be that. We're going to go. I got to turn these fans on, dude. The Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm extremely happy you listened to it today. A little rambly, but I hope you had fun. Have a great one, guys. Peace.